Hello, hello, and welcome. I've always believed art is a form of self-expression. It is something that has no boundaries or structure. No one is to grade you or rate you. Except for this craft. Now, a ton of folks in their early years go through the lifestyle of judged dance, known as competition. This episode brings us a creator who choreographs for these competitors as well as musical theater. Christine Kowalczyk brings her insight to dance, and even if it isn't for competition, she believes that the body is meant to move. She does have an artistic household with her son Xander and husband Alex, who is also a guest on Peak My Interest as a photographer. Also, next to her office in her studio, there is a piano lesson studio adjacent that starts up about halfway through. But it shouldn't distract you from her creativity. This episode was recorded in Missoula, Montana, and some time ago, and published now due to me learning how to edit and publish a podcast, so some info might be a little old, but I hope you can still use all of the information to look up their work, and your interest is piqued. Now, I hope you're having a wonderful day, and please enjoy this week's episode I've titled, Dance is for Everyone. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome to Peak My Interest, a podcast dedicated to creativity. My name is Scoob Decker, and I am an artist. This podcast was created to learn more about different styles of art and, more importantly, meet some incredible artists and explore their craft and how they create. I'm currently here with Christine Kowalczyk in Missoula, Montana. And Christine, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> A little tired? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm also ready for the weekend. Yeah? Yeah, I actually get a day off tomorrow, so that's oh, nice. Nice. Which will be Wonderful. good. Been a little busy. I'm sure we'll get into that and why you're tired. Please pique my interest about you. Uh, what is your name? What is your craft? Um, yeah, so my name is Christine Kowalczyk, um, and I am a professional choreographer for both uh, musical theater and competitive dance. Wonderful. And what separates you from other choreographers? What is so different about your choreography? I would say that... I think when I go into a space and I create a piece of work, um, it's always about highlighting the individual. I don't just come up with a concept and then put it on individuals. Um, You know, I have to be inspired by the individual themselves to create a work that works best for them or highlights them. Um, So I think that's something that, you know, maybe in the future I would be open to being hired out. There's a lot of people in my field that can pay $1,000 and they can come in for you know, I fly them in and they could set pieces of work on my students um, and then they leave. But right now, all the work I do is inspired by the students that I spend, you know, hours and hours every week with. Um, and each new season or each new piece that I create is is inspired by something I saw them do or a piece of music that reminded me of someone individually. When you're choreographing with your students, what What's the goal? What is your ultimate goal? I know you and I have met through musical theater, but right. I know um, your your career has kind of shifted to a new end goal. What yeah. is that? So, you know, for me, I primarily work with students under the age of 18. And so my success is their success, which is ultimately my goal is to create choreography for them that inspires them to to keep choreography in their life for the rest of their life. So whether that means it gets them into a collegiate program or it gets them seen by, you know, one of the top professionals in our industry or it gets them into a trainee program and someday a professional company, um, it's creating choreography that highlights them and inspires them to keep it in their life forever, dance itself, not that specific choreography. But sometimes that specific choreography is a catalyst for them to, um, oh, I really like this style of movement, so maybe I'm really now inspired by, you know, Pacific Northwest Ballet because it's in the Balanchine style of dance, or maybe I'm really, you know, that piece of choreography that you opened up my eyes to Fosse style or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
your studio mm -hmm. teaches competition, mm -hmm. which is very different than a lot of choreography where, um, like you're talking about, using the students and working with the students to get them to be the, whatever they want to get out of themselves. Yeah. But also what baffles me in competition is it's not only self-expression, but it's also judged in the end. And you get a rating and you get a score. And yeah. so I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But once again, let's learn a little bit about you. What is your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was born in upstate New York um, and then uh, moved to Maine, uh, Kennebunk, Maine, when I was seven years old, where I... I started dancing when I was three, and then when we moved to Maine, I found a smaller studio that was actually a competitive dance studio. Danced there until I was 12, and actually straight away from competitive dance because I didn't like it anymore, and wanted to focus more on my ballet technique and trained from the age of 12 to 18 at the Maine State School for the Performing Arts, which was a feeder program into the Maine State Ballet, which is a professional ballet company in Maine. And then after that, um, in high school, I started getting interested in musical theater and so shifted my, you know, my focus or my passion a little bit. And so in college, I went to school at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour south of Brooklyn, New York and 45 minutes north of Philly um, to, you know, beautifully arts you know, hubs on the East Coast and double majored in dance with an emphasis in choreography and theater with an emphasis in acting. Wow. Yeah. So all sorts of different dance. Yeah. Was there any specific one that you really enjoyed or one that really spoke to you? Yeah. So actually, um, my favorite style of dance when I was going into college was, you know, ballet until I was about 17. And then Back in the day, um, which I hate saying because I'm still not that old, um, but yeah, I studied, when I said I studied at Maine State and I had trained hard enough to become apprentice to the company, and then my senior year, the company director sat me down and said that I was too heavy to be in the company, and I'm only 5'2", and so I was not tall enough, you have to be a minimum of 5'4", and at that time, telling a 17-year-old that they're too heavy, when at the time I think I weighed 127 pounds. Like, I was not a large human, <laughs> um, you know. And so, but I didn't fit the mold. I, so my senior year, they always called me a jazz arena. You know, I could do everything. I could turn and jump. That's what I was good at. And so going into college, I just kind of put ballet aside because I had been so broken by it. Mm -hmm. um, and then had an instructor in college that taught African dance. And he did like an African modern fusion. Uh, his name was Charles O. Anderson. And he kind of inspired me. And that's when I really opened my eyes to more the modern and contemporary route that I, you know, still choreograph today. And then my senior year of college, I was lucky enough to be enrolled in a and a dual credit class that actually ended with going to Ghana, Africa for three weeks and studying dance. Fell in love with Ghana and Accra, where we were staying, which is the capital. And then, you know, after graduation as an artist, we're kind of like, what the heck are we going to do with our lives? And so I ended up going back to Ghana for six weeks and teaching kindergarten. I lived in a small city, Hohe, and lived among the people and, you know, kind of still fell in love with that African culture. So that's honestly my favorite style of dance. I think that there's something really beautiful about the African culture, how dance is integrated in a way that just in America it's not. You know, there were, there were children that were four or five years old, you know, you're sitting at dinner and they're just, you know, for lack of better terms and because you can't see me demonstrate it, you know, they're gyrating their hips and doing things, but it's not sexualized. America sexualizes everything. And so I think the body is meant to move and so that's something that African dance continues to inspire people that you know moving your hips is not seductive it's actually like your hips are meant to move forward and back side to side same thing with your chest and your arms you know they're meant to move um, and so when I came back from Africa that second time I always said, like, if I was going to teach dance, I was never going to sexualize it or I was never going to tell someone no because of their size or their look. And that's something which very much contradicts competitive dance or the stigma of competitive dance. You know, you think about that, 
you know, show dance moms that people say you have to look a certain way, you have to kick a certain height. And so that's always been something I've fought against in the competitive dance world. If you look at my, um, you know, my company of dancers, I have tall dancers, short dancers. I have dancers that can kick themselves in the face. I have dancers that can't do splits. Um, and so I'm never going to tell a student no because of something that is physically not meant to happen. Dance isn't... Mm-hmm. That Western dance or ballet isn't necessarily natural. Forced turnout is not natural. Russian ballet is not natural. Um, but African dance is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's a very long-winded uh, <laughs> version of, like, African dance is my absolute Sure, favorite. absolutely. And so after you went to school, you took all these classes, mm-hmm. you traveled the world, you took all these worldly experiences, and you met your husband. Yep. You have a baby. Mm-hmm. Through all this, you decided to kind of step away from a little bit more of the expressive art, and you have created a whole studio based on competition. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of explain what competition is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that there's a very um, clear delineation in competition and competitive dance of um, there's the trophy chasers, which are the students that, or the studios that bring their students to competition purely to come back and have a huge trophy. Um, so there's dance competition where you go, you compete, you get a trophy, you leave. Um, I don't participate in any of those. What I participate are dance conventions, which have a competition aspect of those. So every convention that we go to or I bring my students to has a two to three day workshop with some of the top professionals in the United States and abroad in their you know, specific genres or disciplines on top of preparing pieces and then getting feedback. So that's kind of the big thing for me being in Missoula, Montana and coming from, you know, the Boston area, New York area, and then my husband coming from Los Angeles. When we decided to stay in Montana and kind of put down roots, how do we bring the coast or a bigger city feeling and expectation to these Montana kids? And for me, traveling to these larger conventions helps me show these Montana kids or Missoula specifically kids, oh my gosh, now you're taking class with Joe Lanteri, who's the owner of Steps on Broadway and, you know, the jazz professor at, professor at Juilliard. Or you're taking places or class and getting to know Dana, um, who was, you know, the assistant choreographer or associate choreographer, excuse me, of In the Heights, the movie. Or So You Think You Can Dance Stars or all those things. You know, they're getting exposure to that and saying, oh my gosh, there's a world of dance around us. Yes, it's awesome if they, you know, score well or they get adjudicated, but it's three people's opinion, Mm -hmm. right? And then we come back and we get to listen to it. And sometimes I agree with it and sometimes I don't. Um, But more than anything, the things that I think for me, it's like, yes, you can rotate more. You can, you know, the technique of it is black and white for dance Mm -hmm. when it comes to ballet or jazz or certain things. You know, in ballet, you rotate your knee out to the side in a passe. So if you're turning on, like if you're doing a pirouette, which is a simple turn, um, and your knees out to the side, then you did it right. If your knees turned in, you're wrong, you deduct score. Um, so from that, there's a very black and white aspect of it. But then you get into the section of the adjudication, which is the creative aspect or the choreography. I'm lucky enough where I never really get docked there because it, the stuff that we create or put on stage is. But it's also subjective, you know, which is hard. Creating dance is, a, is an art which I think you're most intrigued about, you know, it's like it's an art form that you're putting up for critique, um, especially with children. But I think there's so many life skills that they're learning throughout that process of, you know, how do I go back to the studio on that Monday morning after a weekend long of classes and work harder? Mm -hmm. How do I take that positive affirmation of like, oh, I scored a high gold, whatever, top adjudication. How do I come back and still work harder? How do I be better? How do I, okay, at the end of the day, I bring 15 kids that have all solos. One of them is going to be the top scoring. How do they negotiate that and still be a good person? And then how do the person that we know got the lowest score, how do we negotiate that and lift them up as their team member as well? So there's a lot of life skills that competitive dancers learn as well. But once again, for me, the competitive dance aspect is the exposure to the world outside of Missoula, Montana. I, you know, there's a lot of competitions that come into the Montana area that are like, you go, you dance on a stage, you get a trophy, and you leave. And I'm just not 
that's just mm. not why I go. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of videos of competition, and it is a lot of repetitive hip-hop, I'd say, is the mm-hmm. most common thing. And pop, yeah. lock, drop, bump, bump, bump. Um, and in your most recent recital, which you showcased a lot of the things that you bring to competition, yeah. what I really appreciated was what you've been talking about is all these different aspects of dance. You have African dance. You have modern dance. My favorite musical theater. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I just don't get how competition just doesn't have more of this right and i i really appreciate how you have that within your own craft and like you were saying when students will come back after a competition they have this feedback they get a score and i can understand how that would definitely drive them to get even better but at the same time i feel like it could be a little degrading can you talk a little bit about that absolutely you know you know to to dance among your peers or to anyone and get a score that you're not happy with or hear feedback that you may not want to hear. I mean, there have been judges that have said, you know, maybe you should try this style instead of this style. It's like, what? But I think it's also very interesting because that one time that they do it. So I get I get very mama bear over my students, right? So I'm like, that's the best one they've ever had. Like, why, why, why would you not score it well? But they're not part of the journey. That's one particular performance that they're seeing. And so it's reminding the students and me, myself as a mentor for them, looking at the journey and putting it in perspective of, okay, so you may have scored, which it's just asinine too how they score because it's a gold is middle of the road, right? So it's most competitions that I go to, it's, Take my students to it's bronze, silver, high silver, gold, high gold, and then either a platinum, a stop the clock, a blah 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 blah. Okay? Super diamond. Exactly. So gold is like middle of the road. So when students come back and they tell the general uneducated public about the dance program, they're like, I scored gold. Everyone's like, Psh, yeah, that's okay. awesome. And they're saying it in an integrated way. And so it's my job as a mentor and as their instructor and teacher is saying, okay, so this is where you're starting. How do we, where do we go from there? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that it's almost me more as a teacher when they do score something that they're not happy with, that I use it as a, why did we get this score? What can we do better? But what did we also do well? Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part about being the teacher is you have to spin it in a way that's positive. And there are students that I've had that have gone on and earned amazing adjudications. And I think that's why I'm lucky to use them as examples now that I've been, you know, this is my 10th season doing this, so a decade of this. You know, my younger ones that get upset with you know, if they score X, Y, and Z and they ski others, but there's also a formula to it. And I figured it out a little bit. So, you know, my top scoring dancer, um, her name is Olivia. She's going to be a senior this year. Incredible dancer. She's absolutely insane, right? And she's the kindest, most humble, beautiful individual you'll ever meet and inspires all. Her very first solo she did, she scored a high silver, okay? So it goes, remember, it goes silver, high silver, gold, high gold, top adjudication, wherever you go. She scored a high silver. My mini this year, same age as her, first solo, scored a high gold. And she thinks just because she didn't score what Olivia scored, she's not like, you know, oh, I didn't do. Whereas Olivia then comes back and goes, girlfriend, I scored a high silver when I was your age. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. But I've had 10 years of experience you know, of, okay, I know this move works. I know this music works. I know how to work with this student and highlight and showcase what they do well. But it's the journey. But I I think at the end of the day, Olivia's journey is a lot more interesting than my newer students because they're expecting high adjudications because that's what they only see now. As opposed to, you know, my most recent graduate, um, Elena, you know, when she started the same time as Olivia or the year before Olivia, our group pieces were scoring high silver, our group pieces. And now some of my students that first time in company, my competitive team are coming home with all platinums, which is the mm-hmm. top adjudication. And they have no concept of what it's like to like work, 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 <laughs> work, work, right? So I think I'm in a little bit of a shift mode as my studio's experiencing more success. How do I put it in perspective for them? But at the end of the day, the end goal is not the trophy. The end goal is not the award, how do I choreograph? There's 
more and more becoming a formula. You know, the more dance I sit for hours and watch, Mm -hmm. you know, all these pieces. But I think competitive dance also, at least the conventions that I go to, because the ones I appreciate, a majority of those, the adjudicators are collegiate professors who actually, you know, teach Monday through Friday and then tour on these, um, whereas I, I, I choose that for a reason. They're going towards more of the collegiate style dance. And so I feel like my collegiate background, the more I've pulled from that, the more successful my pieces have been. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking answers. of success, you, you've talked about um, the, the students going mm-hmm. into a competition and receiving a score, and uh, we're in your studio right mm-hmm. now, and I, the walls are just covered in awards, <laughs> you have plaques, you have medals, yeah. you have trophies, um, and that's a way to gauge the student success. Mm-hmm. But as artists, we're always in search for our own success within our craft. What is success for you? Do you feel like you're successful? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I, this is a hard question for me because it's I do. It's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. I think we all define success differently, right? And as artists, a f- perfect example, which is as an artist and as an educator, two very underappreciated, I think, professions in our society um, as an overarching thing, my husband and I have kind of dedicated our lives to the arts and education. Um, whereas, you know, my younger brother is in finance and in New York. So his definition of success may be the car he drives, the television, he financial, financial, whereas mine's never going to be that. Mm -hmm. Um, for me though, other success, I'm working really hard on not defining my own self-worth based on my students' success. But also at the same time, you know, this past recital that we just had, being able to, at the end of the showcase, have so many people come up to me and say, I felt like I was transported out of Missoula. I felt like I was seeing a level of artistry between the costumes and the staging and the lights and the dance, the way the students handled them. Like that to me is success when someone says, I don't feel like I was in a small town in Missoula. I was inspired and went home saying, I want to create now. Mm -hmm. So success to me is leaving someone thinking more when they leave the, not just like, oh, that was cool, but like thinking about what they saw and inspiring others to want to do Mm -hmm. that is success. Mm -hmm. Or understanding or wanting to have, you know, a conversation with me about what my process is. Like this to me is success because someone else is thinking about what I'm doing. (laughs) Well, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) How do you start your creation process? Speaking of creating, when you are given the next competition or your next recital when you how do you go about it do you do you start with music do you start with your students coming to you with a question how do you start yeah I think that's a really a really obviously fantastic question but it it's different every time a lot of times I hear a piece of music and I envision something so It drives my husband nuts, but I drive mostly in silence in the car because my work is music. So if I'm driving somewhere, I'm always choreographing in my head or I'm envisioning a piece of music and how someone can be moving through the space in that. Um, So quiet is, you know, is the opposite. So music usually inspires me. Um, so if I do have music or I'm starting to think about work, it's it's usually music. I also think about the specific, you know, job that I'm tasked with. So if I have, you know, a firecracker little eight-year-old, um, I'm going to look for something that I can envision them doing well, say a solo. Um, so, you know, I have a student, Zoe, She's nine years old and she's, yeah, she's a firecracker. That's the way I describe her. So, you know, I'm going to think about the moves that I'm going to want to highlight that she does well. Um, but then, you know, for instance, I did a piece, Hades Town, which is inspired off of the musical. My husband and I went to see it in New York in 2019, right before, you know, the world shut down. And I couldn't stop listening to the soundtrack. And I was like, this just has a really cool undertone. But how do I juxtapose the musical theater aspect with it with 
the contemporary collegiate dance style that I'm really passionate mm-hmm. about too because there's such a disconnect with collegiate dance sometimes and like people go to see it and they're like what the heck just happened <laughs> and I'm one of those people yeah. you know and so by put layering it with music that inspired me and then trying to connect the two sometimes we were like oh I get it I get it now like I get how this movement sequence can inspire you with the music layered on top mm-hmm. um so usually I find a piece of music that I'm inspired by for whatever, you know, the given causes. And then I'll sit down and I'll think, okay, is this a large group of people that I envision or a single, mm-hmm. singular person? Or is it a small group? So I'm really excited about – so I'm in conceptual phase for next season, okay. right? So recitals ended and I have a senior next year that I really want to feature, Olivia. I've already talked about her in this podcast. Um and she's just a gorgeous mover. Like, everything she does is very interesting to me. Like, she can stand there and just breathe, and you're like, wow. You know? So there's this piece that I'm like, I really want to do a really beautiful lyrical piece for her. Lyrical is kind of that blend of ballet and jazz, but it tells a story. Lyrical. Um, and so there's, I was driving in the car the other day, and this is why I don't listen to music, because I was choreographing, and the song Flowers came on, and I was like, I see the color sage green. I see Olivia being lifted by, like, four people, and I need two people, like, doing something opposite at the same time. Okay, I want six. That's how it comes. Hmm. So it's like I know that in my company auditions on June 10th, I'm looking for six dancers that can dance around Olivia and four of which have to be able to lift her up. All inspired by silence in the car. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so that, and then from there, I get in the studio and I move around. Right. And how does it make me feel? You know, dance is a lot from the solar plexus, if you think about, um, you know, the different chakras, if you're Mm -hmm. into that. Um, And it's the color yellow, which is really funny because that's my favorite color. And so it's like from the soul. But yeah, for that particular piece. And then sometimes it's on a whim. I'm like, okay, there's a piece of music, jazz recital, Vogue I did this year. Ended up loving it. But I was like, I need a piece from the 90s. It was a theme. Mm -hmm. Iconic. Great. It's now one of my favorite pieces I've ever choreographed, you know, but yeah. I think one of my favorite thing about your pieces, which it's interesting because most of your pieces are about three minutes or less, Mm -hmm. if not two minutes or less. These tiny pieces have story Mm -hmm. and you, your choreography somehow are able to tell a story within that time frame. And I, I, I really appreciate that as a storyteller myself in the musical theater. And I think this is me just kind of projecting here, yeah. but I believe your history with musical theater really drives that storytelling and really gives your pieces a purpose. And, and, and no offense to your Vogue piece, right. but I didn't get much out of it. Right, exactly. It, it was pretty. They go over here, they go over here, and you can kind of tell that this was choreographed for competition. Right. But then I see the, uh, Olivia's piece, which she choreographed, by the way, which I also love that you do at the studio, is you, you inspire uh, students to push themselves and mm-hmm. find themselves. And like you said, she might have gotten a high silver, but she learned how to choreograph. And let me tell you, that piece that she choreographed was my favorite piece in the entire Her solo title. or flat, the group piece? Flying. Yeah, yeah. right? Because it feels, and I think that's the other, the, they're all senior level dancers, right? And when the moment they walked into the studio to now, they leave you feeling something at the end of the day. And you're still thinking about it. Like, why did that make me do something or feel something? What inspires you? What gets you to feel those feelings? Mm. We talked a little bit about the creation process, but really what gets you inspired? I know you have a son, and I know (laughs) he probably influences you every day, but artists always come up with creative blocks, which I'm sure you run into a lot. With how many students do you have? Uh, I think we have 240 this year. 240 students. I'm sure you run into a creative block eventually. What inspires you? How do you overcome creative blocks? Oh, yeah. So this is a really, this is more like a personal thing. But when I started my studio, I didn't expect to start it when I did. A lot of people, or what's very common in the dance educator world, if we're coming back to, you know, choreographer, dance studio owner, is you go out and you have a professional career, then you start your studio and it's kind of like, you know, a scientist teaches on the side to make money. It's not the end goal for a lot of people. And for me, it wasn't an end goal. And so what I wish I would have done or wish what I wish I could have done 
is my inspiration for a lot of what I create. So I graduated college and followed a boy out to Missoula, Montana and did not marry him even though I was supposed to. And so I was kind of stuck here. Um, My goal was never to live here. You know, I had plans to move to Astoria, New York when I was 23 with my best friend to get an apartment and do the audition thing. And life unfolded the way it did. And I, you know, 10 years later own a studio at 33 when I was expecting to open a studio at 30, 35. And so if I was still in the physical shape, what would I be wanting to dance? And that's a lot of what inspires me and the movement style that I have. So you'll see my dance always has a lot of turns and a lot of jumps because it's what I wish I would have been able to do. And also what I want my students to have that I may not have had, which is a choreographer, director that sees them for who they are and what their individual talents are. So you're trying to give a little bit of you on the stage, but also showcasing the student as well. Wonderful. Do you have any hobbies? Things that get you away from the studio? Things that might complement the studio? Yeah. Uh, No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, I did say you have a two-year-old. Yes, I have a two-year-old that takes up most of my time. Um, My husband tells me I need to get a hobby so that I don't burn out, which burnout is a real thing. Which, by the way, but, you did just have this ginormous 240-student <laughs> recital, which we had mentioned yeah. a few times, and that's why but somebody I, might be a little tired right now. But, but my hobby, you know, my hobby and what I still do for myself and my husband encourages me to do is when I get to choreograph for musicals still. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing shows at MCT, doing Big Fork, I go up to, you know, and for summer stock, those are things I do for me. And so those creative processes but it's still choreographing so no it's not healthy I don't do I don't do much other than it's it's different though but yeah it's different and it's not around the same the same thing and that's why I'm really looking forward to you know I've um, gotten an offer from MCT to do a show that's 18 and older which is exciting and enticing to me because my 40 hours a week is with children Mm -hmm. and you know I leave my own child to go spend time with other children But I don't really have hobbies and I don't have time for me to go and dance for myself anymore unless I'm creating work for other people. Um, And so it's definitely maybe shopping. Shopping could be a hobby. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's not a good hobby for on my on my current, um, you know, income. But no, I don't. Other than playing with my son, um, actually like interior design too there you go spring break i was really bored and so i painted a huge sun on our bedroom wall if you could give yourself any advice would you wish that you had a hobby yes yeah i would say and i would also tell myself if i could give myself advice which i did this year is i took the studio email or my my work email off my phone Mm. because i spend way too much time on my phone and that's part of being i think a studio owner as well like a small business owner but I don't get to leave the work at mm-hmm. work because it's my livelihood. And it's it's a my... tough balance because yeah. you also got to be on your phone for your job, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's just an easy way to get lost in the emails and the social media. And, the... and I think that's one of the also the hardest things about the industry that it, competitive dance industry, social media. Because someone is always seeing something and trying to do it better now. And the perception of, so we have these kids that are whacking themselves, you know, behind the head now with their legs because they saw someone on social media that could do it, you know, this high and then they're trying to do it this high. And so all of a sudden I have to stay up with what the trends are a little bit because what the kids want to do. But also there's nothing, you know, it's, turn dance a little bit like TikTok. I think there's an influx in hip hop because people think that TikTok is hip TikTok dances are hip hop which are not and it's almost an insult to the hip hop culture 
because it's not the same thing. Um, But some studios are trying to monetize on it and actually having TikTok classes, which kids come and learn, like, the renegade dance. That was back in 2020. I'm outdating myself already. But it's a thing. Fortnite was a huge thing. Um, People were offering Fortnite camps where we'd learn all the dances that the Fortnite characters would do. I mean, it's infiltrated into the art form I mean, it's almost a competition in itself of just social media, which is one of my least favorite aspects of social media. But, yeah, yeah. Speaking of advice, would you have any advice for an aspiring choreographer or somebody who wants to join competition? Um, Do you advise going to school? Mm -hmm. Do you think just like going out and auditioning is the best way to go about it? Yeah, so I that's twofold, I guess. So my question is, an aspiring dancer and an aspiring choreographer? Let's hear both. Both? Great. Yeah. So as a choreographer, trust yourself. Someone is going to love what you create. Just because one person doesn't love it doesn't mean that it's not right for someone else. And you have to remember that, especially if you're going to put your work up to be judged. Just because three people on a panel may have had different opinions of it, it's three people. And that somewhere someone is going to love what you did and you should love what you did if you're proud of what you put on stage then that's all that matters for a competitive dancer the same thing there's a spot for everyone you need to find an instructor or a teacher that values you who you are and what you have to give and doesn't see you for your limits but sees you for your abilities um Because the right choreographer can create something that is perfect for everyone. Um, But you have to be open to creating work for, as the choreographer, you know, you have to also give and take. It's a lot different choreographing for an 8-year-old than it is an 18-year-old. But, you know, I I think that that's the biggest takeaway is that if you in the arts community, but in the dance community specifically, you need to find a choreographer that values the dancer and you need to have a dancer that values the choreographer. And just because the choreographer has 10 million likes on social media doesn't mean they're the right choreographer for you and doesn't mean that they're going to set the award-winning piece. Um, And I've had some students that have struggled with this this year. Um, And then I have a student, Olivia, who's choreographed her own piece Mm -hmm. and doesn't even have a social media, you know, super presence. She maybe has a thousand followers and she's, you know, scoring a 98 out of a hundred. And she may have scored a 99 if it was three different judges. Right. But I think it's pretty universal um, that dance is for everyone. Your body's meant to move. And just don't forget that. I love that. Dance is for everyone. And one of actually one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that I, I do believe that you believe that dance is for everyone because you teach everyone. You teach two-year-olds to twenty-year-olds to adults. You've taught different styles. You've you've taught tap. You've taught African. You've taught hip hop. You've taught ballet. You've taught to all abilities. One of my favorite things about Showtime is you have an all abilities class. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So six years ago, we had a student, um, well, her, his mom actually reached out to Showtime because she owns a a daycare and she wanted to bring her daycare in for something to do on a day of the week. And then she asked me when she came in and kind of loved the space, do you do classes for students with, you know, and any sort of American labeled disability. Um, and I was like, you know, I've never really gotten into that. I don't know much about it. And she's like, well, I have a student with a, I have a son with a traumatic brain injury. He has paralysis on his right side, but he just loves to dance. And so I spoke with some of my instructors and actually sent one of them who had an individual like passion for working with special needs per se, um, sent her to um, a training in Helena um, with this company called Axis Dance Company, which is based in California, and it's an all abilities professional dance company. And she came back, and we piloted this program called Danceable, and it was for students of all abilities. So some had autism, some had traumatic brain injury, some had were in wheelchairs, complete, you know, nonverbal. 
and she did kind of creative movement style dance, and then our piano teacher, Anne, actually accompanied accompanied it um, on the piano, and then that sort of morphed into Tyler, our dancer, kind of love for dance, so then he started a private lesson, and by the end of his private lesson, it happened at the same time my competitive company was rehearsing, and he'd come in every time and want to watch, and it was actually the piece was that we were uh, that I was creating for them was from Heather's the musical but it was a song about a girl named Veronica and he just wanted to see Veronica like he wanted he called a dancer Veronica and he just at the end of every private he wanted to come and see Veronica and um he wanted to be in company and his mom was like what do we do how do we do this and I just said we'll figure it out and so you know fast forward five years this is his gonna be his fifth year and final year in company because he's a graduating senior and he we've integrated movement so that you know if it's a full company piece he can lift his left arm all the way above his head so if it's full company and it's all dance we do left arm because he can do it we always put him in a place where he's able to watch someone in front of him because the uh, someone that he aspires to or looks be it you know um and then someone on either side just so that he has kind of that awareness of when the group is shifting front and back but he's now integrated into almost all of our classes so then he wanted to become a teacher assistant which is a program we have and it's where students minimum age of 11 you know started assisting teachers and so we brought back finally after covid covid kind of put a halt in our danceable program and um, we brought it back this year and we started the group class there were seven of them and he was the teacher assistant for it because his actual knowledge of dance is so much higher than the rest of his peers. And I have a, a new teacher who loves working with kids and is going to school for education. And, um, well, all my teachers love working with kids, but she especially um, likes working with students of all abilities. And she's inspired all of them to dance. But your body's meant to move. And even if it's paralyzed, it's meant to move, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but yeah, he... You know, he sees no limits and we should see the world like he does a little bit. It's really interesting because being on competitive dance, you know, breaking those boundaries and the the stereotypes. um, I brought him to his first competition two years ago. And the looks that he was getting from other studios was just like, who is this kid? What is he? You know, because he, the time was a 15-year-old in a 15-year-old's body, but the mentality of a child that has half a brain um you know and I had 30 kids 35 kids at the time there and they were so used to it and normal that they started looking back at kids that were just like why are you staring at us like this is this is Tyler he's part of our group and um at that specific competition Olivia, I keep bringing up this one student, apparently I'm very proud of her, was the first overall top scoring soloist. And so once you're the top overall, right, everyone knows who you are in the room. So 200 plus kids. And he stood right next to her and she talked him through all of the classes. And from the first class to the last class, he was just normalized because she normalized it. Mm -hmm. And the rest of her peers from Showtime normalized it. And we have to normalize it. We have to normalize that dance is meant for everyone, whatever capacity that is, whether it's you're able to blink your eyes and move in your heart, you know, in your soul, that's what dance is. And and that's why it frustrates me because there's this stigma with competitive dance that's been created that, you know, oh, you're a competitive dance studio, so all your dancers have to look like Barbie dolls and they have to do X, Y, and Z. That's just not the case. And I was met with that, you know, in the prime of my high school years um, where it was like, oh, you aren't tall enough or you're, you know, not a double zero, you're a size two, so you can't fit into the costume. Um, And so that's always been my mantra is like, no, dance is for everyone. And Tyler's just a shining example of it's literally for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the recital, the All Abilities class had a piece based to the music from Space Jam. Yeah. And it was my favorite part of the whole show. It was so much fun. And then they clapped for themselves afterwards. They clapped for themselves. (laughs) Uh, But the teacher you're referring to, when it was their time, she would go around and tap them on the head, and it would be their time to freestyle. And that 
was killer. I mean, they got to go up and express themselves in ways that they might not have ever known they could. And what happens? The crowd erupts. And it just, it just you know, it brings a tear to your eye. It breaks your heart a little bit. And it's just, it's so cool that these students get to, get to have that ability. And there's one student that actually came to our open house that was in the dance abilities class that wants to enroll in more classes because he was so inspired by what Tyler was doing. So he's enrolling in hip hop and musical theater next year in top of that. And it's like, okay, so Tyler might be leaving in a couple of years, but he's opening the door and he's breaking boundaries in ways, you know, and we need to keep that alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's was so exciting to me that he came in, you know, and was excited to try to add, you know, wanting to add more dance classes and that it was not even a question or looked at differently. Amazing. Switching gears a little bit, how do you handle criticism? I know in competition you will get some negative comments. How, and also in other art forms, we will always get criticism, whether that be good or bad. How do you handle that? Do you like to brush it off your shoulder? Do you like to take it to your heart and try and work on it a little bit? Um, I think it depends on what the situation is. So if I get criticism about, say, the way I um, dress a dancer on stage, that's something I'd be like, oh, man, yeah, I can see that point of view. I didn't look at it that way, but maybe that looks wrong. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to view it and really take that not personally, but take it seriously. Um, Very rarely do I ever get that comment, but that's just something that's like, you know, very tangible to fix. I think that if it's something about a piece of choreography commenting on maybe, you know, the movement sequence or something like that that I've actually come up with, I do take it personally because it worked for me. Um, But I think with time, you continue to realize, and I continue to remind myself, well, it worked for me and it may work for someone else, but it just didn't work for you. I think the criticism that I don't handle well and I continue to work on for myself is when a student takes it personally. So I'm, I think part of my acting degree comes in really well in the fact where I can perform and be strong for them um, in the sense where I stand up for if they don't like or they think that they need to straighten their knees and I know it's something they've been working on all year. I'm like, yeah, but you wouldn't have gotten that note if they didn't notice that you were doing that, Mm -hmm. which means they were drawn to something about you and so they just want you to get better at it. And then I go back to my hotel room and I'm just like, why didn't I see that? Or like, why did I have them do that if they would? So I think I still beat myself up over or take very personally what I could have done better. So I think that's a thing, but I think more than anything, when a student chooses to no longer do competitive dance when they've done it, I think that's the hardest. That's not even necessarily a criticism, but that's the thing I take most personally because it's like, what could I have done differently? but a lot of times it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with so many outside factors. Um, but I think that's the one that I'm still learning to negotiate in a healthy way because no one, f- everyone says, well, you'll have another so-and-so or there'll, you know, there'll be another person, but there isn't. Each one of my students, especially on my competitive team, you know, I spend a minimum of a you know, part-time job with number of hours. And so each child means something to me and their journey means something. And so when a child no longer continues their journey, I do take it personally because I'm like, why don't you choose me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think that's that's the hardest criticism. I can deal with what other people have to say when it comes to judges or opinions. I've, I've worked really hard for that. But I also am really proud of what I do. And I know where my students have come. And I know that the battles that they have coming from a relatively small town. Mm-hmm. But when a student chooses to no longer participate after participating for many years, if it's a student I see potential in, which I technically see potential in all my students, otherwise I wouldn't put time and energy into that. Yeah, I wouldn't be here. I like what you said a little earlier. Criticism should be handled seriously, but not personally. 
Right. I like that. I really do. Is there any misconceptions about your craft? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or should I say, are there any misconceptions yes. about your craft? Um, I think that there are misconceptions in choreography that we only do dance. Um, a choreographer, I think, doesn't get the recognition that they deserve a lot of times. Because as a choreographer, you are very easily trans... Um, we could easily transition to like an artistic director because as a choreographer specifically for competitive dance we're thinking about spacing we're thinking about costuming we're thinking about music editing we're thinking about so it's not just dance as if i say i'm a choreographer i'm not just thinking about the dance i'm thinking about the whole like kind of like you said for me at least it's like the whole story the whole picture the whole experience in that moment and choreographers have to plan Spacing, timing, cuts, you know, choreography. If it doesn't work, we can think on our feet. So from a choreographer's stand, like, from the point of view of, like, a choreographer, there's so much that goes into it more than just the dance. If we just came up with an eight count, yeah, that might be something that takes us five minutes. But to put together a piece, there's so much more that Mm -hmm. goes into it. And we are overall, like, the director, the musician, the, you know, all those things in one when we're creating a piece of competitive dance and then you know you put it on a stage for a a show and it's like now we're lighting and all those things and there may be choreographers out there that are like this is the dance I don't care about the look I don't care about anything so for me personally the choreographer is the lighting designer the costume designer the staging the you know all those things they're dipping their toes in everything yeah and we you know our brains go multiple different ways um I also think that we as choreographers can be cool <laughs> like everyone has the misconception that you're madame jury from you know from from the phantom of the opera where we walk around with canes and sticks and hit kids and just don't think and maybe that's more of a dance teacher thing that we value you know the like prissy you know i don't know pointy nose witch like look but that's not who most choreographers are nowadays. And then with the craft of dance specifically too, you actually have to be really smart to be a dancer. It's not just your body. The education behind and I'm lucky because in my in my program I hire all of my instructors are, you know, either have excessive performance experience or are college educated dancers, which I think is a different different style of teaching dance because we come at it from an academic point but as a dance teacher um and as a you have to understand the body you have to understand and have a very innate way of connecting emotion which is an intangible thing to a physical thing and emoting those two things together and it takes a really intelligent person to be able to do that um and so i think that people think oh they're they're dancers, so, you know, they can dance, but there's not much else there. And that's why it really bothers me when people say, don't just get a degree in dance, because that doesn't mean anything. You know, oh, I have my BFA in dance. You have to be able to think for yourself to be an educated dancer. And dance today is moving in a world where it's it's hopefully bettering the world that's not just for show dance can make a statement and people are using dance as both an outlet to express themselves to find themselves but also yeah say something and you have to be an intelligent individual to do that yeah wonderful as we wrap things up i want to know what's next for the world of competitive dance Mm -hmm. i usually ask this question in the art form because we are seeing a a rise of technology Um, do you find technology influencing competition as well as um, what i emphasized before when i watch your pieces which i i feel are musical theater driven Mm -hmm. it's very different than other forms of competition do you think that there will be other styles of art forms being integrated into competition you know, it's funny you say that because um, 
this year for the first year, one of the large overarching umbrella companies that runs a couple of the competitions that we go to allowed the use of you could actually make lighting requests and technological add-ons or sets and props where that used to not be a thing and so I do think that it's getting a lot more technical in the sense of literal like lights and sound and timing of things but it also goes back to social media and advancing the dance and the expectation of what dancers can do because there's always the next best thing and how high your legs can go, how many turns a student can do. And we portray, you know, they catch that one video, but they may have done it 17 times to get it to look that way. And so I think that's always going to be that competitive edge that makes it that much harder and more elite. I also think that But social media can also mean more accessibility. It could, absolutely. I think that that's right. I think that it's accessibility to potentially the knowledge, but not necessarily for the students to do it in a healthy way, though, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So what scares me is, you know, the students that are doing these ridiculous tricks that we think are amazing, but maybe not having a spotting because they're doing it at home in their bedroom and then filming it for a TikTok. Um, And then they come in with a lower back injury. So I think we're going to be continued to be wowed by not human abilities of dance that are (laughs) happening. You know, the the flexibility, the turns, the, I want to use words that are accessible. So, you know, the extensions, the lines, the, the things that people can do. But I do think that what is cool is from technology the integration i hope of worldly dance becomes more accessible i do think that that's something um that technology has advanced is the you know to take a class in from africa you know here in the united states if it's zoomed in that wasn't even really thought of 10 years ago as opposed to now so maybe it's integrated in that in that sense but yeah, I I hope that it continues to be. I'm not going to change what I do. Well, my uh, challenge for you <laughs> is to incorporate more different art forms in competition and take that or leave it. But yeah. I, like I said, watching your competition pieces, the ones that really stuck out to me, I'm not a judge, were the ones that had different art forms mm-hmm. in them. The musical theater, there were some modern pieces, there was some tap pieces, and I, to me they just stood out more than just those, no offense, Vogue pieces. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. my challenge to you. I love it. Um, what's next for you personally? Do you have any projects coming up? Um, so, yeah, so this summer I'm headed to do some choreography at a couple different places. I'm taking a little bit bit step, a little bit of a step back from teaching this summer, um, which will be a nice break for me. But honest and truly, I hired two, and I have two incredible um, assistants, you know, studio manager and assistant, uh, studio manager and choreography, you know, company assistants, my competition company, um, and they're going to be doing a lot more next year. I'm trying to take a step back and kind of refuel that artistic block that, mm-hmm. you know, I try to avoid and be, be a more present mom, actually. Mm-hmm. So my husband is starting a arts nonprofit and so it's kind of my turn to maybe you know hold down the ground a little bit for him to take more risks with that and in return stepping back a little bit from the amount of 80 hours I do maybe to a normal 40 um (laughs) but yeah I I don't know specifically any other bigger things but smaller projects um letting the studio flourish under the foundations that I've created but being a mom right now. Mm-hmm. And what's next for Showtime? How many competitions mm-hmm. do you have lined up for the next season? How many recitals? So our auditions are next week, and I've got about 40 students auditioning again, so maybe a little bit bigger than last year. Um, we've got four competitions we're headed to. We've got a potential nationals in Las Vegas. Um, we've got a winter show, which we do every other year, which is a whole other thing, so there's... We do a winter show. We have a recital in June. Um, so kind of six or seven large performances. But hopefully a little bit of time by the lake. 
the near yeah, future. Right. <laughs> Enjoy the summer a little bit. Uh, and where can we see some of your work? Where can we see a little bit of your choreography? Um, yeah, so you can always check out my um, Instagram. That's ckowalchik90. Or if you... Um, Follow us on our on ShowtimeAcademy.com. Um, we always list what competitions we're going to, and they always live stream. So if you're ever interested in seeing that work live, um, just click onto their live stream. If you see, oh, Showtime Academy is attending 24-7 in Bellevue, you can see, you know, go on and click and watch. So. And the Showtime website is also where you could register yourself or one of your kids to sign up for any of these classes, whether that be competition or just any dance classes. There are so many different classes offered. I've taken several myself, and they are just so much fun. She has a lot of different teachers that could teach all sorts of different things. I can't thank you enough for joining me and piquing my interest about your craft. And thank you to all my peekers out there. Please let me know if you have any special or unique artists or art forms that you think I should explore. Remember, creativity comes from the heart. Push yourselves, be kind to each other. I'm Scoob Decker, and thank you for helping me pique my interest.